we get caught up in how uncomfortable stick emotions are, and we run away from them. Ironically, it can make the entire system backfire, because avoiding stick emotions is like shooting the messenger. Hey guys, so happy you're listening to the podcast. You know I don't run ads or do any sponsorships, so the only ask I have is that you help me spread the word so that more people have less stress, handle issues quicker, go further, and feel more fulfilled in work, their relationships, and life. The only way to do that is to get the podcast out to more people. The one thing you can do is leave a rating. It takes just seconds and teaches the algorithm to recommend it to more people. If you're feeling generous, take another five seconds and drop a quick comment in the reviews. It would mean the world to me because all I want is to help people be better and live better. It could make all the difference to someone else. Welcome to the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, where we talk about applying high leverage psychology in your business and life. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, licensed psychologist, private practice owner, speaker, executive coach, and consultant. I became a psychologist to learn how to leverage psychology and help others do the same. For over a decade, I've been tracking how psychology gets in the way of smart and results-driven people. For years, I've developed frameworks and tools to help them leverage psychology instead to launch themselves forward. It's my mission to share my hard-earned lessons with you so you can launch yourself forward too. I can't wait to talk high-leverage psychology with you so you can learn to take higher-leverage action today. Let's talk high leverage psychology. Today I'm covering why stick emotions like frustration, stress, or shame can take over. When they do, it gets in the way of being productive and feeling fulfilled at work and home. I'm uncovering three steps I walk clients through to help them handle their emotions and create the life of their dreams. So let's dive in. Jeremy Bentham was born a prodigy. At age two, Jeremy's dad, found him sitting at his work desk, reading about the history of England, devouring the entire multi-volume set. By age three, Jeremy was already studying Latin. Mind you, he was born in 1748. He went to college at 12 years old, graduated at 16, and finished his master's degree before he was 20. He dreamed of shaping laws, social policy, and culture around less pain and more joy for more people. The philosophical idea of utilitarianism is often credited to his influence. It sounds logical, right? But his thinking 250 years ago was far ahead of its time. So much that he was viewed as illogical and improper back then. Unfortunately, he wasn't successful, and he was vocal about how frustrating the laws and politics of his time were. What's really interesting is that he's often credited with the phrase carrot and stick to describe pleasure and pain. 250 years is a long time to have your words echoed. Bentham talked a lot about the carrot and stick as driving forces in our lives. The idea he understood and did his best to share is that some emotions are enticing and others are forceful. 
The carrot entices us, pulling us towards our goals and rewards. The stick whacks us, pushing us away from potential danger or negative consequences. Obviously, Jeremy Bentham is not the last person to talk about pleasure or pain. Psychology and neuroscience research has spent decades trying to uncover how they work in our brains and in our lives. The way our brains grab our eyes and ears to pay attention to the carrot or stick is with one system, emotions. Carrot emotions like happiness, excitement, and confidence help us drive forward. Stick emotions like stress, anxiety, and shame try to keep us away from harm. Here's where it gets wild and how we go off the rails. We get caught up in how uncomfortable stick emotions are, and we run away from them. Ironically, it can make the entire system backfire because avoiding stick emotions is like shooting the messenger. And we'll get to that later. In psychology research, that avoidance, that pushing emotion away, shooting the messenger, is called suppression. Suppression doesn't change the message. It doesn't address what's happening or might happen. It just wastes time and energy on avoidance running away from or stuffing down emotions. Also, we don't consciously feel that, often through distraction, to keep our attention away from the discomfort, which ultimately keeps us away from doing what needs doing. This is what procrastination is made of. It's avoiding a tough task, a hard conversation, or an uncomfortable reality. It only distracts us while time keeps ticking forward. Meanwhile, The issue that triggered the stick emotion in the first place, it's still sitting right there. The issue is the elephant in the room. The ironic part is that emotions only ebb away for a short time. Then they come back bigger. Here are the three steps I walk my clients through so they can get a handle on their emotions and stop negative emotions from running their lives. Step one is awareness. We level up their ability to notice and understand emotions so they have clarity in minutes instead of taking hours or days. Step two is analysis. We level up their ability to uncover why their emotions show up the way they do. Then we unpack what their emotions are trying to do. With that clarity, we figure out how to best move forward with the information. Step three is action. We figure out the most effective course of action, plan, and follow through. I call it the triple A treatment, awareness, analysis, and action. Let's walk through them step by step. Step one, awareness. According to clinical research, understanding emotions and what triggers them is critical for emotional and mental health. The better we understand when and why we feel something, the better we can handle it. It's the principle that emotional intelligence is based on. A lot of therapists let their clients talk and talk until their clients figure it out on their own. In my practice, I give my clients the shortcut. I explain emotions directly. That way, we can move forward faster. In fact, I have over 30 definitions and formulas for all kinds of emotions and experiences, particularly ones that get in the way. But that's more than I can cover today. So I picked five of the most common negative emotions that I see that can be really impactful in takeover. One, anxiety. Anxiety can be triggered when we anticipate potential negative consequences. 
like deadlines, big decisions, public speaking, or a big pitch meeting. When anxiety takes over, anxiety can create worries, tension, affect focus and productivity, make it harder to do a good job, or increase the possibility of making mistakes. Number two, stress. Stress appears when we perceive the stakes or strain are high, like when there's too much work, not enough time, or really high demands. When stress takes over, it can lead to low productivity, procrastination, emotional exhaustion, neglecting personal or family responsibilities. Eventually, that can create strain in relationships, physical burnout, and health problems. Frustration shows up when we feel blocked in pursuing a goal or desire, when we experience unmet expectations, unexpected obstacles, or we're not making progress. When frustration takes over, frustration can lead to losing motivation, snapping at people, and might make problems with coworkers or in other relationships. Number four is shame. Shame can show up when we are experiencing high self-criticism, low self-confidence, and it can be triggered by negative feedback, fear of failure, or fear of judgment. Shame, self-criticism, and confidence issues can mess with performance and lead to avoiding tasks or avoiding being around people, hiding ourselves or hiding parts of ourselves. Anger can be triggered when we experience our lines being crossed, like when someone cuts us off, orders us around, when we have conflicting priorities or values, like differences in parenting styles, financial views or priorities, or balancing work and home life. Anger can lead to conflict, tension, disagreements, arguing, yelling, snapping, having a hard time focusing, and disengaging from work or relationships. Any of these can be really uncomfortable and have a big effect on your day-to-day experience when they take over. So being aware and catching them as they happen is an important first step. Step two, analysis. For most people, analyzing emotions and their triggers is unconscious. It's so ingrained and so automatic, they don't even realize what's going on. So the second step is to really dissect and unpack the trigger and the emotion, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that gives you actionable data, direction, and drives you forward. Here are three types of analysis I do with clients. I call them uncovering, unpacking, and unlocking. First, we uncover the beliefs that create their reactions and keep them stuck. Second, we unpack whether the emotion is relevant and helpful in the current situation or not. When it isn't, the emotion might help point us to a perception or expectation that needs adjusting. Third, we unlock what the emotion is trying to help them with, so they can put a plan together to address the real issue at hand. Let's go through an example of each. When we're uncovering one unhelpful belief that allows negative emotions to take over is when we assume they're unhelpful and out to get us. We treat them like a bully in the schoolyard, so we avoid them. I get it. Some emotions can be very uncomfortable, downright miserable, like being whacked in the nose by a stick. So they feel like a bully, doling out punishment. Even the term negative emotions carries judgment. It labels them as unhelpful, disruptive, even dangerous. But I don't see them as negative, even though people call them negative emotions. Remember, stick emotions try to keep us away from danger or harm. So I reframe them as uncomfortable emotions because they don't try to make life difficult. 
Trust me, if our brains actually wanted to do that, they would be more efficient, cruel, and sadistic. They're like signposts or messengers with the unfortunate job of carrying potentially bad news. Uncomfortable emotions are just trying to get our attention and help prevent bad things from happening. Once we uncover the hidden belief and change how we think and perceive uncomfortable emotions, they aren't as threatening. In fact, we can see and relate to the emotions like good friends trying to help us out in tough times. Hey everyone, digging the insights? Here's what you can do to spread them to more people. Leave a rating for the podcast right now. It's a tiny act and takes only a couple of seconds, but it's a huge help in sharing the best insights with more people, which means the world to me because all I want to do is help more people overcome challenges faster, unlock their potential, and feel more fulfilled in work, relationships, and life. It could make all the difference to the next person who finds the podcast. Let's keep going. The next type of analysis is unpacking. Sometimes, emotions don't seem to be helping, like when anger or frustration lead to aggression. Anxiety or stress lead to procrastination or paralysis. When shame or self-criticism leads to perfectionism or avoidance. Sometimes, emotions don't quite fit what's going on. They seem out of proportion for the situation. When that's the case, in my experience, it's usually one of two reasons. Number one, suppression. Or number two, reacting to the past. For example, when someone feels a little annoyed by being cut off and they push it away, what happens is that their emotion learns to show up bigger. Why? Because the emotion has a job to do. The discomfort is the message. The message to pay attention and prevent a problem from getting worse. Let's break it down. When we suppress an emotion, we don't do anything about it. So it tries harder to get our attention and get us to act on it next time. The only way an emotion can do this is to push harder, to grab more of our attention, and so it shows up bigger. It's like a firefighter. They show up when there's smoke pouring out of a window, and they come knocking on the door. If we ignore them, they don't just get in the truck and go back home. They pound harder. They grab a battering ram. They bust down the door. Emotions do the same. They remember what didn't work last time, so they show up bigger and bigger next time. Suppressing only teaches emotions to escalate and come back bigger. That's how they learn to push harder and why it feels like they take over. It creates a push-pull dynamic where the emotion shows up, the person is pushing the emotion away, and then it has to come back harder and bigger just to get our attention and try to get us to do something about the potential problem or issue. Sometimes, though, it's a different reason. The emotion is triggered in the present, but it's actually about the past. Here's an example. Let's say you had a terrible boss. Every time they called you into their office, they yelled at you, criticized you, and blamed you. Finally, you've had enough and you switch jobs. The first time your new boss calls you into their office, you might feel anxious or stressed, even when you're doing your job well, even if your boss is calling you in to praise you for your work. Your brain is reacting to the past. It's important to understand when it's happening because the emotion isn't trying to get in your way. It's trying to show you that you expect or perceive something bad will happen based on your past experience. The emotion wants to protect you from that. And what you really need 
is to adjust your expectations or your perceptions. Whether suppression or reacting to the past leads to out-of-proportion reactions, it's really useful to understand. Because how you handle an uncomfortable emotion masterfully depends on being aware and analyzing what it's telling you. Once you have clarity on when an emotion is out of place, you can get to unlocking what it's trying to help you do in the here and now. Which brings us to the last type of analysis, unlocking. Here's where we unlock the real power and get leverage with uncomfortable emotions. If you look closely, you'll notice uncomfortable emotions aren't random. Each uncomfortable emotion is triggered in certain situations. Anxiety alerts us to undesirable possible outcomes. Stress makes us aware of demands and their consequences. Frustration shows up when we get blocked in our goals. Confidence issues in self-criticism or shame respond to potential failure or judgment. Anger tells us when a line is being crossed. That's useful, actionable data, and the discomfort drives us to do something about it, unless we suppress or avoid the feeling. Notice the pattern here? Uncomfortable emotions try to help us solve or prevent issues from becoming bigger problems. When we suppress or avoid them, we're ignoring them, like not answering when firefighters come knocking. If we open the door instead, we could benefit from their help. Here's how I help clients do that. We talk through what the emotion's job is. Then we talk about the most effective tools, skills, and strategies to create success. Here's a quick rundown for the five uncomfortable emotions we've talked about. Number one, anxiety. Anxiety helps us prepare to mitigate risk and maximize our likelihood of success. Number two, stress. Stress increases our internal resources to rise to demands. Number three, frustration. Frustration gets us to figure out and overcome obstacles to accomplish our goals. Number four, shame and self-criticism. Shame and self-criticism help us see and address personal weaknesses that are important for success, for living a life that is aligned with our values and takes us where we want to go. Number five, anger. Anger helps us establish and maintain boundaries. Sometimes it's our perceptions that need adjusting, like recognizing when we perceive a bigger risk than is real, or when we perceive weakness where we have more competence than we realize. Other times we can run with the emotions, getting invaluable data, direction, and drive from them so we can shore up weaknesses, maintain boundaries, overcome obstacles, rise to demands, and maximize success. And that brings us to action. The third step is taking all of that analysis and creating a plan of action. And that really brings us to, for example, with anxiety, what is the most effective way to prepare to mitigate risk and maximize the likelihood of success? Or when it comes to stress, How do we put into practice really harnessing the internal resources that stress is trying to give us to really rise and meet those demands? It's really important to walk through intentionally how do I leverage or take what the emotion is trying to help me do and create a plan of action. And sometimes when it's your perception that needs adjusting, you can ask yourself, what is my assumption? What is my belief? What is my expectation? And how is my emotion helping me see or recognize how I can change or adjust so that the way I'm thinking 
is really consistent with reality or what's likely to occur. And on that note, I'll see you next week. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast is produced by Dr. Yishai and PodTech. Music by www.purple-planet.com. Dr. Yishai is a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with the guest or listener. The information contained in this publication is for general informational purposes only and shall not be relied on or construed as coaching advice or therapy. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope today's episode fulfilled my mission to help you leverage psychology better in your business and life.